Hi, this is Carly, episode 33. I'm a recovered alcoholic. Welcome back to North Star Big Book. I hope the noise factor is okay. I'm recording outside of my children's karate, and it's beautiful out. Um, I'm sitting in one of my soccer mom chairs, and I hope it won't be too noisy for you. I'll listen after, and we'll see. We are on working with others. We were just given the directions for how to do 10 and 11, and like I shared last week, this is been the steps that have changed me the most. Before I get started, I need to do a quick 10th step, and I thought, why not do it on my podcast so you guys can see how I do it? So, am I resentful? Am I rethinking or refeeling? Yes, I am resentful that I still don't feel well. Um, I've been sick for four months, and I had surgery last week, and I'm resentful that I'm still sick. Am I afraid? Yes, my fear is that I'm always going to feel like this. Is it dishonest? Yes, because always is a long time, and I keep forgetting the fact that a week ago I um, had surgery on my head, and that will definitely make me feel not great still, and to expect my body to feel the way I want it to feel um, is dishonest. It's selfish because I keep coming back to this, like I keep getting snagged on it, like um, like I have a hangnail that keeps getting snagged on like a dress. It It just keeps bothering me and instead of finding acceptance I keep getting stuck with it so that's selfish that is the first part of the 10th step then I share it with someone else which is you and I'm going to ask God in six and seven to please help me let this go because I don't want to be like this anymore and I'm going to take a deep breath I'm going to breathe and I'm going to ask God to help me be kind and gentle and respectful of my path and that if this was somebody else I would tell them that they were being crazy um, I'm willing to let God remove these things. Eight and nine is do I own amends? So I haven't harmed anybody other than myself from um, expecting myself to be where I'm not and kind of fighting it. I'm struggling against reality, which is usually, it's the only problem I ever have is struggling against what is. Um, what I can change within myself is my breathing. I can breathe. I can change my expectations. I can expect that it's not gonna, I'm not going to feel better today. I'm probably not going to feel better tomorrow or even this weekend. It's going to take time. And I've been sick for a while, so my body is not even strong to begin with. So it's going to take me some time. My attitude I can change. I can have an attitude that I'm grateful that I'm not in a hospital. I'm not on special medication. I don't have a horrible terminal illness. Um, I'm physically capable of walking and driving myself, and my attitude needs to be one of gratitude for what I have. And my perspective is that one of my best friends um, and sponsor has to plan his daughter's 16th birthday party, and she is no longer physically on this earth, and it's coming up. And I needed to remember that um, my problems are not real problems. They're just inconveniences. The last part of the 10th step is always to think of someone else. And I'm going to think of my podcast people. And right now I'm going to turn to working with others. So thank you for that. On the top of working with others, I wrote a bunch of stuff. I wrote, this is where it becomes living it. So this, everything we've been learning about, now we're going to live it. So this is where it becomes living it. And then I wrote through 10, 11, and 12. So I'm going to use 10, 11, and 12 to live the program that I'm taught. This is where it becomes living it through 10, 11, and 12. Then I wrote step 12, which is what we're going to be on now. I wrote step 12 equals, and I said, doesn't indicate period of time, but completion of work. 
step 12 does not indicate period of time. So it doesn't matter how long you are in order to do step 12, how much sober time you have. It just is about completing the work. Have you done 1 through 11? And then I wrote all the steps lead up to step 12. So all the steps lead up to step 12. So 1 through 11 are designed to help me be most effective and useful in step 12. And then where it says working with others, I wrote on the side, I am responsible. And that's my reminder. I am responsible. I can't hope someone else is going to do this. This is my responsibility. So I bracketed the next two paragraphs, and we're going to read them together. Um, The first two words of this paragraph is where the name of my home group came from. It's called Practical Experience, and that's what this chapter says. It says, Practical Experience, I underlined, shows that nothing will so much ensure immunity from drinking as intensive work with other alcoholics. So I double underlined the word nothing. I circled the words ensure immunity, which is freedom from harm, um, from drinking as intensive work with other alcoholics. So I wrote on the top of that, nothing will ensure relapse into drinking. So it's the opposite. Nothing will ensure relapse into drinking as not working with others. So if the book tells me that nothing is going to make me be able to stay sober more than working with others intensively, the opposite of what the book is not saying is that nothing is going to ensure that I'm not going to stay sober if I don't work with others. So if I choose not to work with others, I'm not going to make it. And it, then it says, it works when other activities fail. I underlined that and I put a star there and I wrote on the side, other activities will fail. So here's the book promising me that other activities, including going to meetings, prayer, meditation, um, helping someone out, that this stuff is going to fail, calling my sponsor. But what will always work is helping another alcoholic. And that's been my experience. This is our 12th suggestion. Remember, our is the first 100 men and women. And then it says, carry this message. I circled the word this. They're specifically talking about 1 through 11 that we just learned how to do. They finished saying on 88, there's action and more action. Faith without works is dead. The next chapter is entirely devoted to step 12. So now we're saying, carry this message. Carry 1 through 11 to other alcoholics. And then I underline the word you, because they're talking to me, the reader. You can help when no one else can. I underlined, you can secure their confidence when others fail. So this is about the daily going out to the next alcoholic. That's my responsibility. If I am one of those kind of people, which I am, who wonders what my response, why my purpose is in life, what am I here for? I might not know my career purpose right now. I might not know um, every single plan that God has in store for me. I definitely don't. But I for sure know that what God wants for me to do is to carry this message to other alcoholics. Because when I do that out of the book, nothing compares to the feeling I have after I've done it and while I'm doing it. It is a freedom. It is um, it is a reprieve. I can have a really rough day or not feel well, and then I go to do big book with my people on my before my home group, and I feel amazing. And I never want to go. I 100% of the time never want to go. And even though I don't want to go and I show up and do it anyways, I still get the results. It says, remember, they are very ill. And I wrote on the side, just went through 1 through 11. So they're telling me, remember, the person you just took through 1 through 11 is not better yet. They just got their hallway. They just started clearing out their hallway. They just identified it with you. They just learned how to do a 10-step and an 11-step. They're barely doing anything. They're totally trying to function. And this is where they're at. I underlined life will take on new meaning. And the reason why they're saying that is because I'm going to now have this purpose in my life. 
And the happiest I ever am is when I'm helping someone else, even if I don't want to be there. To watch people recover, to see them help others, to watch loneliness vanish, I underlined, to see a fellowship grow up about you. So that's what we're going to get. They're promising me this. And I wrote on the side, promises of step 12. So the promises of step 12 is that I'm going to see a fellowship grow up about me, which is pretty cool. And that's been my experience too. It took a long time for for me to find that fellowship I was craving. I always have had friends in AA and people to hang out with. But um, about six years ago, when I met one of my sponsors and we started going through 10, 11, and 12 and then taking people through the book the way that it's done in the book, um, a fellowship grew up about us. And now we have a home group that's been, we just celebrated our six year anniversary and we get between 30 and 50 people and we get to do big book with people and we've probably given away like three to 500 big books. And it's something that's, it's my one of my favorite nights of the week, Thursday night. Um, it says, to have a host of friends, this is an experience you must not miss. So the first 100 men and women are telling me you don't want to miss this experience. We know that's the first 100 men and women. You will not want to miss it. Frequent contact with newcomers and with each other is the bright spot of our lives. I wrote on the side, goal. It's kind of long. So I wrote the word goal. And I wrote, is to be used as a channel for God to save another. To be used as a channel for God to save another. If I want to use a pipe to get from one end to the other, I want the pipe to not be blocked off because I can't pass the clean water in order for it to get the water from one point A to point B. So the pipe, which is me, I need to keep my pipe unclear, unblocked, uncluttered, clean, so God can use me and speak through me, which is what happens when I'm leading, which is what happens when I'm doing big book, which is what happens when I'm 12-stepping somebody and doing one-on-one work with them. Um, And whenever I start hearing my own self-talk, that's usually when God doesn't need me anymore um, at that moment. It says, perhaps you are not yet acquainted with any with drinkers who want to recover. You can easily find some by asking a few doctors. Remember, this was written in 1930s, and at the time, they did not have a 1,000 meetings a week like we do here in Cleveland. Um, in bigger cities, they have even more. So the way that I find alcoholics today is I just show up at meetings, and they're everywhere. Um, I also introduce myself as a recovered alcoholic so they can know that I am, and they can start hearing that and knowing that that's different. Um, it's my responsibility to comment at any meeting I go to about the solution and the steps. And even if I'm the only voice in the room that is talking about that, that's my responsibility, even if that means I have to be unpopular. It says, we know you will not want to miss it. Frequent contact with newcomers and with each other is the bright spot of our lives. I already said that, sorry. Um, the next paragraph says, they will be only too glad to assist you. Don't start out as an evangelist or a reformer. Unfortunately, a lot of prejudice exists. You will be handicapped if you arouse it. So I just want you to pay attention here. Throughout this entire book, from the moment that the first 100 men and women knew we were going to start doing the work, they start angling me to become the kind of sponsor and attractive sober person that isn't going to ruin a future opportunity by my current behavior. And so throughout the chapter, more than any other chapter, they constantly use the word if, like this is your choice if you want it, and they're telling me what to do to not spoil an opportunity later because they're assuming that there are some people we're going to work with that are not going to want to do the work and are not going to be ready, and we don't want to become people that they don't want to come to in the future. It says, 
ministers and doctors are competent and you can learn much from them if you wish but it happens that you that because of your own drinking experience i underlined you can be uniquely useful to other alcoholics and i wrote on the side now our old mind so that old mind that got me in trouble all the time because I've cleared it out and I've lined it up and I've set it apart and me and my sponsor have identified it and we are not going to forget who we were and what we did, that old mind, those memories and that the way I used to think becomes my number one tool of identification for the new person because the book just told me that this is the key to my sobriety and my immunity. So it says now our old mind is the number one tool. I underline the next two sentences and these are both tools. So cooperate, never criticize. To be helpful is our only aim. I love that sentence, cooperate, never criticize. If I would just focus on that idea just for one day, I guarantee you if my only goal for that day was to cooperate and not criticize, I would have a beautiful day. And I actually think I'm going to do it tomorrow. I think that's going to be my goal tomorrow. And I'm actually going to send a message to all my sponsees to see if they want to do it with me. And maybe we can keep a tally of how many times we messed up during the day um, and got back on our horse. It says on the next page, on 90, I bracketed this entire page and I wrote on the top of the page, work with the willing. And I'll explain what this means. Work with the willing. So when I first met one of my sponsors and I would complain that the girls would call me up and they would want to talk for like 30 or 45 minutes and they would want to be like an emotional vomit and complain about their boyfriend or their mom or their job or their boring sober life. And um, I was taught that what I'm supposed to do with a girl is I'm supposed to tell her to do an inventory with God and then send me that inventory so we can see the facts from the field. Okay, so on the top of the page I also wrote, this is something that I basically can say to anybody because I'm recovered and I'm working the steps. If you want to stop, I can help you. So the first sentence is, if you want to stop, I can help you. If you want to stop, I can help you. And then I wrote, it may appear drastic. So what we're suggesting, which is the steps, it may appear drastic, then I made a comma, but this is for people out of options. But this is for people out of options. So this is a great tool, something I can say to someone who's freaking out that I'm working with um, about everything they have to do. And then I can pose the question to them, maybe you're not out of options. Maybe there's something else that you think you can try or do since when I you asked me for help and I'm giving you the suggestions that I did and that was done in the book, you are complaining at every step. So maybe you're not done. And then I don't push them and I don't raise my voice and I don't judge them. I just say, maybe you're not done. Um, which usually makes them uncomfortable and mad because they don't want to be called out on that. Um, and that ex- also explains that this is drastic. And I need drastic measures because I'm dying of alcoholism. The reason why I have written work with the willing is to remind myself the people that are going to do the work are only the willing. And the way you become willing is you get beaten down by a state of alcoholism and alcohol to the point where you're willing to do whatever is asked of you. So it says, when you discover a prospect for Alcoholics Anonymous, find out all you can about him. If he does not want to stop drinking, I underlined, don't waste time trying to persuade him. So they're telling me, do not try to persuade someone to not drink. That is not our job as alcoholics in recovery. I underlined, you may spoil a later opportunity. So there it is again. They're thinking about the opportunity. This advice is given for his family also. They should be patient, realizing they are dealing with a sick person. 
if there is any indication that he wants to stop, have a good talk with the person that most interested in him, usually his wife. Get an idea of his behavior, his problems, his backgrounds, the seriousness of his condition, and his religious leanings. I underlined, you need this information to put yourself in his place to see how you would like him to approach you if the tables were turned. So I underlined that, and I wrote on the side, listening tool. And one of the listening tool, oh, I'm, gonna, I'm remembering right now. So cool. I love Big Book. So at this point, there was a listening tool that we did that my first real Big Book sponsor had me do, which was for two weeks. And I was going to a meeting every single night at this point. I was brand new, and I went to a meeting every single night. It was like my life. For two weeks, I was not allowed to comment in meetings at all. Um, I could say thank you to the lead after the meeting, shake their hand, but I was not permitted to comment, and that was because I was going to remove the ability to talk in meetings and take the cotton out of my ears, which I normally have in there, and stick it in my mouth. And I was going to not be someone who was going to talk, and I was only going to be someone who was going to listen, which meant that I, I wouldn't have to think about what my next comment was going to be and how crafty it was or creative or silly or whatever um, because I was not allowed to talk. And my sponsor told me if I broke it at any point, I would have to start the two weeks over. And I remember it being really hard. I can't do that in Big Book because then if I don't do Big Book, then we're not doing Big Book. But I can do it in meetings, which is cool. It says, I underlined, sometimes it is wise to wait till he goes on a binge. I wrote on the side, alcohol makes us willing. Alcohol makes us willing. So the reason why it's wise to wait until they get drunk and hung over is because once we're miserable and depressed, then we'll be willing to do whatever it takes, which is why we are supposed to grab them by the hand if they say they want help and take them all the way through so they don't have to waste any time. The family may object to this, but unless he is in a dangerous physical condition, it is better to risk it. So the family is going to object to this. The idea that we're saying to the family who's scared and helpless and even families in recovery come to us and say, you need to call them, you need to do something. And I say, I'm so sorry, Sharon, that's just not the way that we do things. You know that. I tell them you can give them my number and you can tell them they can call me anytime, but I need to see that they're willing. And if they're willing, then I'm going to take them in the steps and we're going to get to it. But if they're not even willing to call me, to ask for help, then they're not going to be willing to do the hour after the fifth step, and they're not going to be willing to do their daily 10th step, and they're not going to be willing to be proactive and ask about amends. They're just not going to be willing. It says, um, I underline, don't deal with him when he is very drunk unless he is ugly and the family needs your help. And I wrote about that instruction. Don't deal with him when he is very drunk unless he is ugly and the family needs your help. So they do not want me to work with someone when they're drunk. I made the mistake of taking a girl that relapsed um, with another woman in AA in our in our in her car, and we went down to central... No, we went to the emergency room so she could check herself in because she couldn't get in a bed, and we wanted to drop her off there. And we were told by a friend of ours in the medical field that you should drop them off at the emergency room and have them say that they want to kill themselves. And then there's, like, a legal reasoning that they, they are required to keep them for three days or something, which is enough time to detox. So it says, and it didn't go well, is what I'm, I forgot to say. It didn't go well. We had to stop and get her a drink on the way. She was insane, and we tried to do the third step prayer with her in the waiting room, and it didn't work out well. It says, wait for the end of the spree or at least for a lucid interval. Then let his family or a friend ask him if he wants to quit for good and if he would go to any extreme to do so. I, I circled the words, if he says yes. That's the big if, and I put a star next to it. So if they say no, 
what we say to them in a non-judgmental way is, cool, no worries. If you ever want help, please save my number. I'm here anytime you need me. We don't want to alienate people. It says, if he says yes, then his attention should be drawn to you as a person who has recovered. Now, circle the word recovered because they're telling me as a reminder in this book that I can become that. I underline, you should be described to him as one of a fellowship who as part of their own recovery, try to help others and who will be glad to talk to him. There's the if again, if he cares to see you. I wrote on the side, they have to be willing to do the work. They have to be willing to do the work. So if they don't want to do the work, if you do the third step prayer with them and you say you have to go home tonight and start writing, and then the next day... Um, and you told them that they should send you a text message after they're done writing so they know, you know, so you know how it went. The next night you see them in a meeting, you said, how's your writing going? I haven't heard from you. And they say, yeah, I was tired last night when I got home. I just watched some TV and hit the hay. Um, if someone doesn't go home and start writing on it, especially since we talked about that specific scenario that you have to go home and start writing on it to prove that you're willing, that you're willing to do this work, then most likely they're either going to, you know, scavenge by scavenge by it, like get there or they're going to end up drinking again it says um i underline and start if he does not want to see you if he does not want to see you i underlined never force yourself upon him and i circle the word never i wrote on the side need to feel completely useless need to feel completely useless and the reason why we need to feel completely useless is because once I feel completely useless then I'm finally willing to do what I need to do it says neither should the family hysterically plead with him to do anything nor should they tell him much about you they should wait for the end of his next drinking bout you might have placed this you might place this book where he can see it in the interval here no specific rule can be given the family must decide these things but urge them not to be over-anxious for that might spoil matters. So there's a reminder as a sponsor, don't be over-anxious that the person is going to do the work. I, here's my rule of thumb. I can't want to do the work for my sponsee more than my sponsee wants it. I need them to be the one who's like, I'll do whatever it takes. I'm miserable. It says, usually the family should not try to tell your story. I underline, when possible, avoid meeting a man through his family. That's like the word. That's like your mom picking out your prom dress. Um, it says, approach through a doctor or an institution is a better bet. If your man needs hospitalization, he should have it. They're not talking about treatment. They're talking about, does your man need to be detoxed from alcohol or drugs in a medical facility with medical supervision? Not with your back pain pills. Um, that you don't, that are expired, that you have no idea what you're doing because you're not a doctor. And even if you were a doctor, you're not treating your sponsee. So um, it tells me really, really clearly that it needs to come from someone else and I can't get in the way of it. I bracketed the next paragraph and I wrote above it instructions. I also wrote the words no outside pressure. No outside pressure. It says, when your man is better, the doctor might suggest a visit from you. I underline, though you have talked with the family, leave them out of the first discussion. Under these conditions, your prospect will see, I underlined, he is under no pressure. He will feel that he can deal with you or without you still being nagged by his family. 
I underlined, call on him while he is still jittery. I underlined, he may be more receptive when depressed. And I wrote next to that word, the gift of desperation. The gift of desperation. And the gift of desperation is God. It stands for God. Um, and this, this person was given that gift because they were more receptive because they were miserable. That's why we want to work with someone immediately. I wrote on the side, first visit. So they're, they're saying that the first time you sit and talk with them about the steps, don't do it alone. And when they say in the book, see your man alone if possible, they're saying like, don't take your wife or your husband or your kids or your friends who don't understand. You want to take another alcoholic. I prefer to take someone who's got a um, very small amount of sobriety because I remember being 12 steps and thinking there's no way you have six years i don't believe you you're a liar but that girl for sure has 83 days because you could just tell um it says see your man alone if possible at first engage in general conversation i wrote above that need to identify they need to know that who they're talking to and that we're capable of talking and that we understand them i underline tell him enough about your drinking habits symptoms and experiences to encourage him to speak of himself. So I underline that whole sentence. And it's a reminder that this is tricky. And that there's those... I don't know. It's just... It's a really important thing. Um, it says, If he wishes to talk, let him do so. You will thus get a better idea of how you ought to proceed. If he is not communicative, give him a sketch of your drinking career up to the time you quit. I underline and put a star. But say nothing for the moment of how that is accomplished. So we don't want to give away the key yet. I wrote on the side, won't relate to sobriety. I remember when I was new and I was at lead meetings, I would listen intently to the part of the lead where they're talking forever about their drunkalog. And I really enjoyed that because I love drunk stories because I could relate to them. I did not like when they talked about sobriety. As soon as they started talking about sobriety, I went to get cookies, I went to get coffee, and I smoked. And I left the room and I just was real itchy and I couldn't wait for the meeting to be over. It says, if he is in a serious mood, dwell on the troubles liquor has caused you. I underline the word you because they're not talking about him. My job is not to make him feel crappy. My job is to make him feel excited and hopeful. If he is in a serious mood, dwell on the troubles liquor has caused you. I underline being careful not to moralize or lecture. It says, if his mood is light, tell him humorous stories of your escapades. Get him to tell some of his own. I wrote on the side, at this point, dr at this point all about drinking. So we're still only talking about alcohol in the first visit. I also wrote on the side, try, so the sponsor is trying to bait you into talking. They're trying to get you a rapport going so you can be comfortable enough that you're willing to talk. And it, what's really important is that I need to only speak of my own sobriety, my own drinking. Because this isn't like, oh, remember when Rachel down the street drank and this person did this? It's the worst thing we could possibly do. My responsibility is to show up and just be honest about it. It says, when he sees you know all about the drinking game, I underline the words drinking game. It says commence, that, that means begin. To I underline describe yourself as an alcoholic. I underline, underline that and then underneath it I wrote how to show you know the game. Have to show you know the game. I have to show them I understand where they are from. I need to use the lingo that I used to use. I need to act like someone who gets them. And I do. I mean that girl still lives within me. She's just not been fed in a while. Uh, let's go to 92. 
I bracketed the top of the paragraph. It says, tell him how baffled you were. How you finally let, learned that you were sick. I underlined baffled you were and I underlined that you were sick. I wrote on the top of the page, focus on first step. Focus on first step. And then I wrote, don't tell them they're an alcoholic. So it's not my responsibility to tell anybody that they're an alcoholic. I wrote, don't tell them they're an alcoholic. I wrote, talk about self. I underlined that. Talk about self and mental obsession. I underlined that. Those two things block me off. Okay. It says, tell him how baffled you were, how you finally had learned you were sick. Give him an account of the struggles you made to stop. I underlined, give him the mental twist. Show him the mental twist, which leads to the first drink of a spree. I wrote above mental I wrote the words the lie on the side I wrote chapter 3 pages 30 through 43 chapter 3 pages 30 through 43 that is where the portion about the mental twist is really going to be covered in most detail it says we suggest you do this as we have done it in the chapter on, on alcoholism I underlined if there's that word again if he is al- a alcoholic if he is alcoholic, he will understand you at once. He will match your mental inconsistencies with some of his own. So that's what we want to do. We want to get them talking. I wrote on the side, talk about being dry and believing the lie. We are going to stop right here. Um, we're going to start next weekend. If you are satisfied, I hope you have an awesome day and an awesome week. And I'm grateful for you. Thanks.